0: Welcome to the Bridge to God's Word podcast with Carla Unseth, a linguistic consultant for missionaries working in Bible translation. We invite you to visit us at www.bridgetogodsword.org to learn more about Carla's ministry. Now, here's linguistic consultant Carla Unseth.
1: Hi, this is Carla Unseth, and welcome to Building a Bridge to God's Word. It has been a while since I have recorded a podcast, so I'm glad to be back with you. And as many of you know, I am right now in West Africa working with the translation team. So as I'm getting back into doing these podcasts, I thought it would be interesting to give you a look at some of the people here. So I'm going to do a couple interviews with some of the missionaries that are working here. So today I want to introduce you to Marty and Tina. Okay. I am here with Marty and Tina who are my teammates and work here on the translation project that I've been working with. So first, why don't you guys tell us a little bit about your roles. What's your role on the team that we're working with?
0: I'm a translation coordinator for the, for the Baga Translation Project. So we have a team of about six people. Is that about right? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, and uh, we have three nationals on our team. Three young men, one not so young, about the same age as I am. And uh, then we have three expatriates with our with our spouses. There's a lot of steps in translation, so there's a lot of a lot of things that people can be doing at the same time. A lot of things that people need to to finish up before you can get to the next step, and and that's kind of. Uh, well, what I do is just make try try and keep everything moving forward through the steps. Yeah. Getting scripture into the hands of the people.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that sounds great. And Tina, your role's a little bit different, but you're still part of Bible translation. So what tell us a little bit about what you do.
2: Yeah, my role actually has changed many times over the years and a lot of it had to do with the ages of our children. In our family life. So I've done homeschool librarian. I've helped write literacy primers. I was bookkeeper. So many roles right now. I do hospitality for our team. Make sure that my husband is doing what he can. (laughs) Um,
0: What he's supposed to be doing. Yeah.
2: And uh, also then I, I'm taking a role outside of the field to work with our development department on grant writing
1: proposals. So yes, all of that extra stuff is, is just essential to keeping a team going. All right, so tell us a little bit about where you guys come from.
2: Yeah, I'm a Hoosier farm kid. I grew up in Northeast Indiana on a family farm my uncles were all farmers, so I'm, I'm a farm kid. I grew up in the church once I was about seven, once my parents got on fire for Jesus, and then I did the uh, two years at a Bible college, liberal Christian arts college, and then went to seminary because by then I knew that I was headed into translation.
1: Okay, so what what led you to translation?
2: I think uh, I took a linguistics class in my undergrad, and I also took Greek because I was just interested in it. And I had the same professor for both, uh, Dr. Higgins, and I did not know it, but she was at the time a PBT board member, and she recommended me to the then PBT president, Rondell Smith, and so I got this letter from him, um, and that started the ball rolling, and then I chose the seminary that we both went to had a Bible translation track, and then I just really started focusing on that. Our major professor, Dr. Charles Tabor, had been a UBS consultant in West Africa.
1: Marty, how about you?
0: I, uh, both my mom and dad were in Bible college when when I was born, and my dad, he had a small church that he, a couple of churches that he preached, like a circuit in northern Wisconsin, north of Green Bay, and he stayed there until about five years, I think, total. I was four when we left there, and we moved to Madison, where dad started preaching at another church. That's where I started meeting missionaries when Dad was uh, preaching preaching at that church, I remember. Yeah, I remember uh, missionaries coming and visiting our church and just hearing their stories fascinated me. When we lived at our first church, uh, the first place up north of Green Bay, we had... A uh, couple of years when we had uh, three Indian boys from the Menominee Indian Reservation come and live with us. And that's kind of a long story in itself, but they, they came for a, for a time and lived with us. And that has really formed my desire to serve, the love for minority peoples. They're, they're great guys one is passed now but the they've all grown up and married and and have kids and grandkids and they've stayed really close to our family through the years even even till now that's that's been one thing that formed my desire to serve minority people i really want i love being outdoors you know grew up in, in Minnesota and Wisconsin. We moved to Minnesota when I was ten, from Madison to Rochester, Minnesota, and then I lived there for ten years um, before moving to Michigan. So I'd been in that area around the Great Lakes region. All uh, that's where I grew up. Different places, but uh, I love hunting and fishing, outdoors of any kind, rock climbing, whatever, canoeing wilderness stuff, I, I love doing that, so I, I had this sense of adventure, you know, and a desire for adventure, and, and a love for minority people, so those kind of blended in in my desire to, to sometime serve as a missionary somehow, somewhere.
1: So what made you think specifically about Bible translation?
0: Well, uh... Pursuing my my love of the outdoors, when I got out of high school and went to school, my dad at that time was an administrator at Minnesota Bible College. Okay. It's a small uh, Christian college in Rochester, Minnesota, mm-hmm. and so I, I ended up going to school there because it was cheap. I could live near my folks, you know, get. <laughs> Get in there, get get a start in college, and kind of figure out college, what um, what it was like, what it, you know, how, learn how to study and things like that, and still be with my youth group friends and friends from church camp and all uh, that I grew up with. So. Um, I just decided to do a two-year degree at at school and then I was going to go off to a university and study Mm -hmm. forestry or something where I, you know, learned to to be in the outdoors, do something in the outdoors for my adventure, you know, pursuits. Mm -hmm. And in part of that two-year degree, they made you take Greek. So I, I took a year of Greek. And it, it was fascinating to me. I loved, I loved studying it. I'd always done well in English, and, and I think it blended into that. And I had a really good professor, and, and the professor's assistant also was uh, just, you know, knew how to get students excited about the subject matter. And so that was really fun. I always wanted to be able to learn enough. So that I could be useful to the church,
1: mm.
0: and so um, kind of that. Like at the end of that second year, I was just I remember going to going to bed and thinking, you know, what what can I do? I got all these weird passions and desires. You know, you want adventure, you like language study or at least Greek study. Um, you want to be useful to the church. You want to be outdoors, or you have have some adventure. You have a love for minorities. What, you know, what in the world is out there that you could do? And and it just came to me. I sat up in bed one night and thought, I could be a Bible translator. So that's kind of where the where the dream started.
1: Yeah. Wow, that is interesting. <laughs> See how God brought all those passions together. Yeah, so you want to tell us how you met?
2: It's <laughs> an interesting story. So Marty is five and a half years older than I. So when he had already left to go to seminary because he'd already finished his bachelor's, I actually went to Great Lakes Bible College, which is where his father had moved to as an administrator, and they assigned new students to somebody in the school, staff or teacher or something, to integrate you into the community, and I was assigned to Marty's parents. And so I met Marty's parents, really liked them, and you know, just struck off a friendship with them. And then I ended up uh, staying two years at that college and then going to Milligan College in Tennessee. And because Howie, which is my father-in-law, knew me from me being in his small group, he came down for a unity forum that our college was hosting. And so he took myself... And my roommate, Joy, out to dinner, you know, just to visit us. And he brought along his son. And so we were at Hog Heaven, right? Yep. Hog Heaven eating barbecue. (laughs) (laughs) And Marty said hello and goodbye, and (laughs) that was it. (laughs) But um, we like to say we had an arranged marriage because... I was passionate, I knew I wanted to be a Bible translator, he knew he wanted to be a Bible translator, but we weren't smart enough to get together by ourselves. (laughs) So our friends would uh, do things like have a party and then everybody didn't show up but us. They did that multiple times and so they put us together and on the other end, my father had been laid off from his job and God put it on his heart to go to Bible college so he gets to preach at small churches so long story short both of our mothers got together up at the college and they were working on their end for our arranged marriage in between our mothers and our friends, that's pretty much what happened. <laughs> but you fell for me when you saw me diagramming Greek sentences. It was quite romantic. Yeah,
0: so I can't remember what what you had, like a... Translation. Was a course no, translation? it was translation with Dr. Tabor. course. No, I remember we had a trip planned to go back up to visit our folks up in Michigan and... Uh, We had to wait for Tina to finish this project. I remember going in to check on her, see how she was doing, and just standing behind her while she was working on diagramming Greek. And I thought, man, this is the woman for me. (laughs)
1: Well, there you go. Diagramming Greek sentences. (laughs) That's the way to go. (laughs) But you went from there, and you ended up in West Africa and were kind of directed to the Baga people by by, was he the director at the time? Brad, you mean? Yeah. Yeah,
2: Brad was the director of this group of translators at the time. And actually, while we were doing our linguistics training in Dallas, Brad was back finishing his master's. Yeah. He yeah. was finishing his master's. And it just clicked between Brad and Marty, and you had a weekly breakfast together, and then it expanded. There were several of us at the same time going through who were interested in West Africa, and so Brad and Estelle began having a weekly meeting with all of us. There were like five couples and a couple singles, and it's Brad's fault.
1: Well, he was very successful. (laughs) Got several, well, yeah, those couples and singles all came out to West Africa, and you ended up in this area, and were some of the first, well, not quite the first, there were some other missions in this area, but um, the first people in the village you were in. So tell us a little bit about your early experience the, the house you lived in those of us who are here on the field have heard this story about this infamous house <laughs> tell us a little bit about that
0: well it, it was affectionately nicknamed the bat house because it just had like uh, in in one corner of the of the house at all times it had like 200 bats just sitting there on the wall and it, it had its a unique odor, and uh,
2: guano. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, and a lot of that. So that's that's kind of we we wanted to hit the ground running. We wanted to be you know working on relationships with people. We weren't sure. We thought maybe that probably. You know, we thought, that's probably not going to be where we're going to be forever, but we want to be able to to start learning the language. You know, it's, it's uh, really important to get out among the people and practice, um, you know, getting vocabulary and using it. And so that's, that was kind of our plan. And, and uh, so that was kind of the reason that we just... We chose a house in the in the middle of the village, and we had we had some other choices, but it just seemed like the right thing to do. And, and we look back at that and think, yeah, that was a it was a bad house, yes, but it was a a God thing and right. put us right there in the middle of a of a family unit and
2: uh, the Kakumba clan, yeah. We were adopted into a clan. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bath House, actually, just to fill in a few uh, facts, was a normal African dwelling. They're made out of mud mm-hmm. bricks, and ours had a very, very leaky tin roof, exposed palm wood beams for the roof, uh, dirt, dirt floor when we moved and
0: in. In a couple rooms, a couple rooms
2: that's some Sort of, yeah. yeah. But so it was. It was an African home that we just moved in and read the best we could with it. Um, My first anniversary present was a sit-down toilet. It was so exciting (laughs) because we had all been going out to the neighborhood latrine, bonding with the monitor lizard, and (laughs) so yeah. But Marty spent three months to uh, dig a septic field and started, I mean, took took it from scratch, you know, septic field, septic tank. So it was a three-month process to get me my toilet for my anniversary.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I, you know, what I love about the story, as Marty said, is because it's, you wanted to be among the people and you had other options or you could have been in a nicer house, a more comfortable place, but... Yeah, that's just one of the things that I really appreciate about you guys is that you've always, always erred on the side of loving people and of being with the people and, and being part of the community. So what are some of the things on that note that you've enjoyed or appreciated about living, being part of this culture? You've been here for a long time. Let's see, how long has it been that you've been here? 26
2: years. It, it was, we arrived in April of 1995.
1: Yeah, so tell us what are some of the things you liked about living here.
2: I think for me, oh. I one thing that has really been, that I miss that we're not doing now is when we lived in the village, when we had young children, we were in the village 11 years before we moved to the capital city And we had Adama come every night to wash the dishes. And Marty was out during the day doing all kinds of things, or he was working on translation. And I was pretty much mom. And I ran, basically, interference for him, you know, community interaction. And so Adama and sitting there having our supper together was my time to just catch up on the village news and just... It was just our bonding time, you know. It made me feel a part of the community. It was who we are. And, you know, sometimes we talk about crops. Sometimes we talk about the old lady getting mad next door and throwing a fit. I mean, what we wanted at the market. It was just two friends doing dishes together and enjoying each other's company. And I really missed having. You know, just sitting around the table and then in the kitchen with her. I I really enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. That was very meaningful to me.
1: Wow. Yeah. What a significant memory to have. And it just makes me think, too, how, again, all that you guys have done has been so focused on relationships. Okay. So, Marty... Do you have some translation stories that you can share with us? Uh, both some of the fun and exciting things, and maybe some of those lost in translation type things, also.
0: Well, just generally, I think um, you know, working through the text, you get kind of a fresh view of of scripture that you know, because you're thinking through it in a different way when you're trying to to think through how somebody else is going to understand it in their language. And that that process has been really enlightening for me and, and, and a great joy. One of the things I remember is when, when we were working on the Gospel of Luke, we went regularly to a couple of different villages and would read with a, a group of people that just kept growing you know so they they'd expect us to come and and we'd read through three or four chapters at a at a time on a in a day and in uh afternoon or something and i just decided when i was doing luke that i'd just write down reactions when we read through the scriptures like i don't remember exactly it was like 21 times through the Gospel of Luke, when people just broke out laughing. (laughs) It was like when Jesus says, you know, he's talking about this Pharisee that's praying in the temple. And he says, thank you, Lord, for not making me like that guy over there. And he's got his fancy clothes on, his fancy robe on and everything. And they just started laughing because they can think about people in their own community that are, you know... (laughs) just like that they you know they got their big gown on and they got their nose up in the air and they're just thankful they're not like one of those other riffraffs over there in the corner and you know there's several several stories like that in in the book of Luke you know the they parables the
1: yeah
0: parables that Jesus told you know what's this lady putting leaven in 25 pounds of flour, you know, (laughs) and just like, good grief, Melba, or what are you doing, (laughs) (laughs) or whatever, so, yeah, uh, that's, that's been a joy to, to be able to work through, you know, work through the scripture with fresh eyes, like that, fresh, fresh ears.
2: Your national translators pose questions to you that you never thought of, too. That's a regular occurrence. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that was a special memory to me was clear back in Genesis, when um, just Abu just started quoting it, you know, just extemporaneously. And it's like, this man has this in his head. Mm -hmm. I mean, he quoted the better part of a chapter and Mm -hmm. just off his head, you know, because he studied it so intensely with Marnie. And I think another time that really stuck out to me related to the translation is, uh, Katangoro village, how far is that away from us, Marty? How far did that guy have to walk? Um,
0: say 10 miles.
2: Yeah, a guy Mm -hmm. came to our porch and he was like, are you the people that have Baga stuff written? And I'm like, yeah, that'd be us. He had walked 10 miles because he heard about us and wanted to get some of the stuff we were printing, and then he just took, I think it was Genesis 1 through 12, and he just started reading it in front of me, and he was so excited, and I think that was a, a special memory for us too, of the power of, yeah, the power of translation.
1: Yeah, definitely. It is amazing to see those moments. And even since we've been working together, I remember, I mean, we went through the story of Balaam together and we were getting near the end of the day and I've got Jamie with me. So she's hanging on my arm. When are you going to end? But we're going through Balaam and we reached the end of the chapter and you said to the guys, well, are you ready to quit? And they're like, no, no, let's keep going. You know, they're mm-hmm. interested. They wanted to hear how the story ended. So, yeah, it's just fun to see their excitement to go through it and hear the stories. Any other stories you want to share?
0: Well, you know, one, one of them early on that kind of gave us a sense of, yeah, this is this is important. We should be doing this job, it's, we were working through Genesis and just in the, you know, just in the first part of Genesis, Abu said, man, we were probably reading in chapter six before the flood. Uh-huh. And uh, we we're reading that people were were evil. And people just got off course. They weren't doing what God asked them to do. And he said, you know, I thought. Everybody was good just up until a couple generations ago. I thought that's when when we started messing up and doing wrong things. I have yeah. no idea that it's been like this for every generation since the creation of, of
2: people.
1: Wow, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: I think one thing that needs to be said is that Bible translation is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And part of that is is to say, you know this isn't this isn't a two years in two year out commitment. This is a longer term commitment. And one thing about that is we were at Abu's wedding. We've watched his family grow. He's watched our family grow. And there's something beautiful about, as Kyle likes to say, doing life together. You know, because, you know, have your kids, your, you know, mom, dad, get sick, whatever. It, it's being through year after year in that relationship. I think there's so much to be said for that. Mm-hmm. And even though we pulled away and went to Senegal for our kids to go to high school, it never... You know, we always had that history and there was contact, you know, um, because by then we had phone lines and just that um, continuity that's part of that marathon, I think, mm-hmm. has some beauty built into it. It's, it certainly has some negatives too, I'm not saying it doesn't, but, you know, Marty and Abu are the same age, so they started this whole thing you know, in their late 30s, and now they're in their early 60s. So it's a lot of life together.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, the other day, Abu said he asked a question as you are talking about, about the translation, and then sighed and said, when I started, I thought this would be easy.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and he, but he has been faithfully working through it, and, yeah, that relationship has been such a foundational thing too to the translation. So what would you say to those who are coming after you to to the next generation of people who are looking to missions, interested in missions?
2: I think the first thing I would say is you bring your baggage with you to the field. Whatever traumas you had, whatever unresolved anger you have whatever good too i mean it's not all bad but you bring your baggage with you it's not like you get instantly transformed into this missionary human or whatever <laughs> you you bring your baggage with you and therefore deal with your baggage start dealing with your baggage before you come because it takes so much energy to live and minister that you don't have energy to keep up a social facade. And so um, just know that it's gonna hit the fan and, and start working on a strategy to deal with your stuff and that will allow you to truly be able to minister instead of just uh, caving in on yourself and your family.
1: Yeah, and we didn't we didn't talk a whole lot about the hard things. You guys have gone through a lot of hard things too. Besides just seeing the joy of translation and that kind of thing, which we haven't talked a lot about, but that's very good to hear. Though. It's hard here. You have to come in a healthy place.
0: I think just in you know in line with that is uh, a lot of a lot of people that are considering missions are looking to to get into it as quick as they can. You know, a lot, sometimes there's it's people that are retired or whatever and they, you know, they, they don't have a lot of time or don't feel they have a lot of time, so they they want to get to the field, you know, just as, as soon as possible and they know that there's got to be something that they're able to accomplish and they're right. But, you know, there are a lot of missionary organizations have requirements and hoops that you have to jump through before you can go. And I've just really appreciated our organization and the training that we received. And I look back at, man, I'm really glad I didn't try and get around that training that they, they wanted to share with us because it, it was really good for us, helped us. I think, stay stay for the long haul. Um,
2: We've definitely seen a lot of turnover with people that didn't have yeah. as intensive a formation as us. They're, they drop fast. They drop more quickly. Yeah. Um, so I think you're right. Not that we weren't itching to get on the field, because we were certainly itching to get on the field too, but we didn't end up. I mean, we made our commitment to become translators then we took two more years they had two year requirement to do the linguistics training then we had a year to raise our funds and make partners then we had a year to learn French so I mean this is four years in already Mm -hmm. you know this isn't just I'm deciding to do this I'm gonna be there by the end of the year that that's not it and don't Don't assume your English is going to get you what you need if you're an Anglophone, because it won't. Um, It will keep you an outsider to the culture and dependent on somebody else, and you never really know for sure what's being translated on your behalf. I think that as I'm an American, and um, Americans generally tend to think that the language requirements made of them aren't really as essential as they truly are. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. You know, you told me the joke before of, you know, what's a, someone who speaks two languages? bilingual. What's someone who speaks one language? American. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. you you come here and people grow up speaking two to three languages. And so it's it's normal here and so it's not an unreasonable thing to say you got to learn the trade language. you got to learn the language you're working with, possibly other languages as well. Right, and
2: the hard places that are left, the unreached places that are left, aren't Anglophone. They're, right. they're not Anglophone. And I guess that's one more thing I would say to somebody that's looking towards mission is consider carefully where you're going because if you haven't studied the 1040 window you need to because the unreached people in the in the world they they're just that they're unreached i mean our president was in asia and he said tell me about jesus to some kids and they said what's a jesus i mean they didn't even know jesus was a person there's a degree of lostness Um, Our church's resources in the American church, for one thing, the overall American church only gives, out of every dollar, 1.5 cents to missions. And then within that missions, 80% or more usually goes to the reached area of the world. It's still leaving a tremendous quantity of people, especially in Asia and North Africa and India with no, zero exposure to Christ. And it's hard to work in these places. I'm not saying it's a party. You know, it's stinking, stinking hard, but that's where the need is.
1: And right, I part of the reason they are unreached is because they are hard to reach. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for telling me your story, sharing with sharing with our audience this year's story and thank you for serving the Lord for so many years dedicating yourselves to His service. Thank you for this time.
2: Amen. May God bless you. Amen.